Noble Together is a podcast designed with you in mind, the parent who wants to partner in their child's education from the classroom to the car line. Our goal is to create conversations that provide shared vocabulary and strategies to help our children thrive. We could do this alone, or we can teach our children to be noble together. Welcome to a very special episode of Noble Together. I'm your host, Cassie Mason, and today, Dr. Michelle Borba, author of Unselfie and 27 other books, joins me to share some words of wisdom for teachers, administrators, and parents. A little bit of background here. I reached out to Dr. Borba to thank her for her influence and to share the ways we are using Unselfie here at our academy. She replied to my email immediately to say thank you and offered to pop onto our podcast and say hello. How kind is that? Of course, I took her up on that offer. Now, Dr. Borba is an NBC contributor who appears regularly on the Today Show. She's been featured as an expert on Dateline, The View, Dr. Phil, Fox & Friends, among many other programs. Organizations that Dr. Borba has partnered with include Sesame Street, the U.S. Air Force Academy, Harvard University, 18 Army bases overseas. Her TED Talk has garnered 87,000 views. She lives in Palm Springs, California, with her husband and is the mother of three grown sons. Now, with a resume like that, one might think Noble Together with four episodes under my belt, Dr. Borba would be underwhelmed. But she was sincerely thrilled to give of her time and to share her expertise. She is the real deal. One of my favorite takeaways from our conversation was learning about the three types of empathy. If you're not a touchy-feely person, this episode's for you. Dr. Borba also gives us great encouragement to simply do less. Take a listen. Thank you so much, Dr. Borba, for joining me here this morning. I am thrilled and honored to have you. Oh, I am so glad to be talking about, I think, one of the most important topics there is for right now, how to raise caring kids. Yeah. Well, I appreciated listening to your TED Talk. There was a lot that I gleaned from it. Uh, not to mention the book that we're reading together as faculty and as a parent community here on our campus this year. We purchased 70 copies back in July. Every member of our faculty got a copy of Unselfie this summer, and we've just really been diving into it as a community. So your influence is is broad. We are a little charter school here in Gilbert and just trying to do what we can to raise up future leaders. Uh, We have those transcendentals here, the truth, goodness, and beauty that guide our decisions as leaders. And I loved when I heard you say, quote, the answer to goodness is empathy. Mm -hmm. So we talk about truth, goodness, and beauty often, and we try to define those in terms that resonate with people, make sense. And when I heard your definition, the answer to goodness is empathy, it just... It, it struck um, within me, it quickened my heart. And I know that this, this conversation is, is timely, important, and I'm, I'm just honored to have you. Oh, I am so honored to be with you. And look, number one, I think for anybody who's listening, the first step to change is intentionality of getting on board with other people, your parents, your teachers, even your students. I've got schools now that are on selfie schools and kids are in book clubs. It's just absolutely wonderful. The kids are saying, here's what you should be teaching us. <laughs> How cool is that? So yay, we got this. We can do it. <laughs> and and you said empathy is anything but soft and fluffy. 
Mm-hmm. I loved that. I think there's this movement of gentle parenting. Parents are trying their best to connect emotionally with their kids, but there might be an overcorrection in that regard. So when I heard you say anything but soft and fluffy, you speak with such authority on this topic, um, conviction, it's powerful. And I agree with you, that's where change happens. So how do we how do we break this down? We're liberal arts charter school here in Gilbert. You mentioned that liberal arts education is particularly helpful in teaching empathy. Can you share a little bit more about that? I think the first thing is we've got to break through this myth that it's locked into DNA or zip code. Empathy, our kids are hardwired for. It's up to us as the grownups to be able to figure out how to cultivate it. And the good thing is, Cassie, science is on our side. We can make a difference. Your liberal arts education, by the way, is absolutely profound because we do know that one of the best ways to teach empathy is make it into a verb. So they see it, they feel it, they experience it. It's not a worksheet or a poster, it's immersion. Literature is absolutely profound. Theater, art, Music, name it all of what you're doing. It all just feeds in perfectly. All we have to do is stay one step ahead and go, what would help the kids understand what this is and why it matters? Because it is clearly transformational. Mm. Talk to me a little bit more about an emotional response to empathy. You said it's a verb. I agree. This may be a very simple, superficial question, but would you define empathy as an emotion? If not, how is it different? Ah, I love that question because in the olden days, way back when, when I started, empathy to me was all about emotion. And then I began to realize, ah, ah, there's three different kinds of empathy. We have different kinds of students and children in our homes and schools. And it's up to us to figure out how the empathy relates to them. Number one is the affective kind of child. And Usually the younger child is more affective. That's the kid. I remember my two-year-old running up to me when I I found out my mom had dementia and was patting Band-Aids all over my my face because he felt it, he saw it, and that's affective. Older children have that as well. You can watch them when they're watching a movie and you can see their whole face radiate or they're reading the book Wonder and their whole body just kind of pulsates. Some children feel it. Mm -hmm. But the second kind of child is the cognitive kind of empathy. So don't assume because he's not the teary-eyed kind that he's not feeling it. Actually, Harvard says that's the top employability factor right now. The child who can step into the shoes Mm -hmm. of the client or the customer and go, how would I feel if that happened to me? Understanding. So that's more the thinking side. The third side is we're seeing a lot of kids on this one. They're the behavior side. So they feel it or they know it. So it's like, so what are we going to do about it? And thank heavens for them because they're, they're little marchers or activists. They take the mission in and say, we got to do something about it. And that's compassion in action. And mm-hmm. that's really what you do. That's the best kind of service project, not because it looks good on a resume, but because it feels their heart and they realize they can make a difference. It's actually the best way to reduce stress as well. I love that so much. Thank you, Dr. Borba. I I had a hard time. I'm not super emotional as a person. I am yeah. more the thinker. And so yeah. there is that that pause for me sometimes. Okay, you got to gear up. You got to feel it with the person. And that is a stretch for me. So this is really freeing. And I, I appreciate that paradigm. I think it will be helpful for our families. Good. Just think of ABC. Affective, behavior, cognitive. Perfect. And then you could look at, I've got three kids. Each one's different as night and day. What, how does your child 
uh, demonstrate empathy when it comes to him. And one of the simplest things you can also do, I love Martin Hoffman, so much research on what works. He says one of the coolest things we could be doing starting around the age of two is building emotional literacy, but then asking, how would you feel? Mm. And then, oh, okay, so what would you need? And mm. then as you get a little older, how do you think your friend feels? Well, what would he need? So what can you do? Yeah. Now you're putting all three together. Oh, I love that. And that is a muscle to stretch in our students. Yes. Yes. It's hard to find the time, right? You you mentioned it can't be a 30-minute block. We carve out and check the box sort of situation. Yes. We must weave it in to our day-to-day conversations. And I just love that. I think when I first found the the book as a parent, I read it through my parent lens before my educator lens. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was very bite-sized and doable and uh, gave me lots of conversational starters for my husband and I to kind of work through at home. So thank you. Weave it in. Choose those up close kind of moments. You showed a little picture. It said, stop and talk. And you you said that should be posted. And I agree everywhere, not just in schools, but in society in general. Uh, As a classical school here, Archway Arte, we talk about the Aristotelian mean often. The mean is virtue in its purest form. So take courage in excess. Courage becomes recklessness in its deficient state, cowardice. Using that framework, let's explore empathy. Empathy in excess, empathy in its deficient state. I, I listen, I love Aristotle because I think the most important thing we need to do is recognize that thing called the golden mean. All of life is made up of hopefully good kids of character, but there's character to the extreme, which is let's look at perseverance. That means you're just obsessive a character to the opposite, which is the lazy point. You're always yep. trying to do to the golden mean, which is right in the middle. That's the gold point for that child. Yes. So there's lots of things we can do. I think the first thing is just go back to realizing what is it that that child or our students need this month or this year to be the best they can be? Because it's never a one-time lesson. We weave it into our literature, our discipline, Yep. How would you feel if that happened to you? What are you going to do next time? The news that you see, oh my gosh, but look what they're doing to make a difference. We find simple little ways, but we become intentional about it. And character is never formed overnight. Mm-hmm. It becomes more to the point where a child finally is able to do it because we've been weaving it in and talking about it and talking about it and modeling it ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's the piece I think we overlook as well. Yeah, right. Modeling, talking about it. I know teachers sometimes are pressed for time to have those slow down conversations when they have math lessons to get through and history and all this beautiful curriculum that they have uh, perfected in their lesson plans. And and there's the tyranny of the urgent, right? That we're battling. And then we have the crying child or the sad student with their head down on their desk. Dr. Borba, remind me, were you in education prior to becoming yes. an author? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. My I whole background, everything I learned was from students. Thank heavens. Okay, great. I started out way back when with special needs children. Oh, wow. And I realized, get rid of the textbook. It doesn't work on everything I learned about learning disabilities and neurodiversity. Mm. The first sake of empathy I finally figured out is I got to get into their shoes, figure out where they're coming from. And then all my lessons became so much easier. Each child was different, but I had to figure out their needs, their feelings, their wants, where they're coming from. And wow, what a difference that made. How did you do that? How did you carve out space and time with everything else? 
I decided I had to be uh, logical about it. I had to make sure that it made sense for me. And if I took on too much, I overwhelmed myself. And there's also a little thing that really interesting is stress builds. You mm -hmm. dial your empathy down. You can't be empathetic because you are in survival mode. So what you end up doing is dialing your empathy down to take care of yourself and your own stress level. Otherwise, burnout comes up. So my first thing was, Michelle, don't take on so much. Figure out what's the one little thing. And I put that as a post-it on my lesson plan. Mm. Like maybe it's the feels plus needs. Or every time we, we uh, do any kind of discussion, talk a little bit about, because the gateway to empathy is emotional literacy. Talk about it, um, feelings and emotions. Do they know them? Can they understand them? What I did was just simple little things. And mm -hmm. I kept repeating the same simple thing. But I also passed it on to my aide. Mm. I passed it on to the, the teachers. I passed it on to the parent. And as a result, I got, uh, I maximized the impact to somebody else was reinforcing the same thing. I love that. The shared vocabulary that really creates yes. that change. I love that so much. Thank you, Dr. Borba. Uh, we do have two teachers in the room here. We are blessed to have a lead teacher and assistant and our wonderful aides that push in. And that's, that's sort of the... The thought behind this podcast, the thematic goal we have this year for our students and our teachers and our parents, it's be good to each other and noble mm -hmm. together and creating that conversation. What would you offer? You mentioned survival mode. Yes, we've just come back from a nice restful break, hopefully feeling rejuvenated. We get to that survival mode pretty quickly on. I'm sure you remember uh, in the classroom, what would you have to offer to parents that are exhausted, teachers that are exhausted, where turning on a podcast or turning a page in a book takes all the energy they have? And not to mention post-pandemic, we have been in survival mode for so long and our students are struggling as we're trying to recover from that still. So just any words of wisdom or encouragement you have for us? I think the first thing is we need to do a little bit more of how can I help you? What do you need? Because it, empathy as it nosedives becomes more self-absorbed yep. and you want to start thinking of others. It doesn't mean that you're going to go out and, and you know get the Nobel Peace Prize, but it's meaning you're looking out for each other. Finding yourself a coach as a parent, or it could be the grandmother, or it could be um, the teacher, somebody else who supports you. So you feel like you're not alone. I've never seen such lonely parents and such stressed out parents, and, and we need to look on board together. Is there one thing? I think that's the other thing. Let's just clear the plate for just a minute. I do lots and lots of parenting sessions. And that's my favorite thing is talking to parents. But I always tell them one thing. And I see this oh, breathing pattern. I want you to just take one piece of paper. And I want you to just fold it into fours. And as I'm talking for the next hour, identify four things. What's four things that you want to do? But at the end of the session, you're going to find the one thing you're going to do a minute a day for every day. And that's going to be your new plan. We overwhelm ourselves for too much, but maybe it's, okay, I'm going to work in talking emotions a little more. Okay, that's it. Good. You'll maximize your gains if you identify what it is you want. Then you keep repeating it over and over again, because too often we go, well, that didn't work. Keep going with it and with it. Or maybe it's the feels plus needs question. Or maybe it's 
hey, I just discovered that children's literature, emotional literature is just pap- maybe I become best friends with the children's librarian. Mm. And I have a boy who's nine and here's the issues he's dealing with. What can we do? You just find one little thing and weave it in or read on selfie, but don't you dare read the whole thing. Just read one chapter at a time and then identify your one thing you want to do with the post-it. I've got more parents who say, we do that in the bathroom. I leave a copy for my husband and he leaves a copy for me and we just keep marking the one thing and that's how we get on board together and we go, that's what we're going to do. Make it easy. I love that. I love that so much. And again, there's a lot of freedom in that, a paradigm that's scandalous, I thought, but now hearing this, I feel like, oh, I can whittle it down more. Take your big audacious goal and cut it in half and make that your new goal. You're saying take that goal, cut it into a quarter and make it that your new goal, which we can get behind. We can do that. And it's the season now to make those goals and set them. And uh, this offers freedom and encouragement to do that. So here's another point on why we want to do that. The research is also on our side. Remember modeling. But if we choose the goal or the habit that we need, like self-control or deep free breathing, and we do it ourselves, mm-hmm. what we're actually doing is doing is a classroom. So not only are we learning the skill of SEL, but we're passing it on. So our children are learning it as well. The same thing happens in our home. We maximize the impact when we do it together. And maybe the other thing is you're going to forget when are we going to do it together? Always assign your one kid who's your most verbal. Remember mom, it's five o'clock. <laughs> we're supposed to be doing that slow, deep breathing. Do it ongoing and it doesn't have to be according to the newest research any more than one to three minutes nice the most amazing study i just been this is profound they looked at 400 different studies fifty thousand different individuals can we make a difference on mental health and well-being and they looked at people with physical challenges mental health challenges or good mental health and they discovered that lo and behold yes All 50,000 can be helped if we don't do too much. Mm. We choose one thing and we do the same thing over and over and over again. You choose whatever works for you. And it doesn't have to be long, but it has to be short and consistent. And what happens is the habit forms. And then what will happen is your own growth mindset goes up and you go, well, that works. Let's try this one. Let's try this. Let's try this. And you're also teaching kids the change is possible. Yeah. There's nothing better for mental health. Mm, I love that. Deep breathing. When do we forget to breathe? Uh, when we're in exorcism mode and we're <laughs> we're flailing along the floor. The biggest thing I see parents do is they wait until the meltdown. Yeah. So maybe the simplest thing to do next month is watch a child. Watch mm-hmm. a child or watch your student. You'll see the same pattern every single time. They're not going to say, I'm starting to get stressed. Instead, you'll see it Mm -hmm. into that child and then start tracking it. And you go, oh my gosh, right before the meltdown, he always does, you know, makes a fist in his hand. The tearing of the paper. Tearing of the paper. Rocking back and forth. But it's almost always the same pattern. We miss the pattern because we wait for the meltdown. Right, right. And the symptoms sometimes we inadvertently uh, we inadvertently give consequences for symptoms, right? And yes. you hear, okay, if a child's about to have an asthma attack and they reach for their inhaler, we're not going to punish them for using their inhaler oh. or deep breathing. They need that because this is coming on and we we don't see it. Great, great analogy. There's another thing on that is once you discover the pattern, 
and it may take you 21 days or five months depending upon the child. Start passing on the pattern to the child quietly, not in front. Everybody watch out for Alfred. He's going to blow in a minute, but yeah. quietly, Alfred, I noticed that right before you get really upset, yeah. you always do this. Yeah, It's a signal between the two that you care. And then the third thing is next month is here's what you could do instead. Mm. It's the replacer. Love and what happen is you'll start to get a proactive and there's empathy 101 too. So notice it. Take a month to notice, take a month to share it, take a month to offer suggestions. Yes. And that three-month three period seems like an eternity for teachers. Doesn't it ever? But you have to keep practicing. Yes. And once you practice it, make sure you pass it on to uh, the other, everybody else. Listen, one of the coolest schools I know does a, uh, just like everybody else does, a parent-teacher conference. But the parent-teacher conference, one of them is to bring your child. Your child comes with you. And right before you come into the parent-teacher conference, the child and the parent are outside making the one plus three plus 10, or here's to do slow, deep breathing or whatever it is. Then the child comes in, teaches the parent the skill, mm -hmm. and now everybody's on board together. Mm -hmm. And then you go on to the conference, you get your kids involved in it too. Mm -hmm. You must see so much, <laughs> so you much know, good at work. I I do see so much. And the thing I see in that works is simple things that you keep doing consistently. Yep. You got to figure out what works for you because there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. But find the simple ways to mm -hmm. just maximize the change yeah. because in the end, you're not going to stop teaching. You got to weave this all yep. in. But yep. in the end, you've got those lesson plans. But what are easy mm -hmm. ways to help raise the well-being and flourishing abilities of kids? Thank you, Dr. Borba. You gave us more than one thing to think about, more than one thing to pick. Uh, parents and teachers, I, I hope that they can glean one thing and commit to it, stick with it, implement it, and share it. It's been a joy. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? I think the most important thing is to go back to where we started. Kids are hardwired for empathy. We're seeing a nosedive in empathy that's unprecedented. And that one of the reasons is the culture's changing. The culture that used to boost children's ability to feel with others. It doesn't mean that the kids are going to change forever. It just means we need to root our parenting and our teaching and weave mm -hmm. it in simple little things because we do know empathy, it's transformational. The goal is to help our kids think we, not me. Yes. And that's one of the best ways to raise a kid who's going to be able to flourish and thrive in a, in a very uncertain new me-based world. A huge thank you to Dr. Michelle Borba. I'm still a bit in shock that you offered to chat with me and I will forever treasure this gift of a conversation. Thank you to my editor, Joe Mason, and to all the parents who are listening along with us. Finally, I want to dedicate this special episode to my helpful, humble, compassionate colleagues at Archway Arte who are making a difference for students and their families day after day. We couldn't do this without you. Keep working to build connections with your kids, one conversation at a time. Mm -hmm.